0: I've just um, been—I've just been pondering over the last few days, really, how how lucky I just feel to be in New Zealand at the moment. Um, You know, kind of as you know, COVID around the world and you know, election and you know, all of these sorts of things. It's kind of—it's just like I just feel so grateful. This is the fifth Sunday that we've been back since you know, lockdown two point five and stuff like that. Um, We're now meeting ten and five again. um, You know, kind of after our October kind of gatherings, rugby and all of that sort of stuff. And so it just. I, I just feel fortunate, you know, kind of to be to be here at the moment. Blessed indeed, and so it's lovely to be able to share today. We're we're doing a series at the moment um, that our associate pastor Tim Wood um, has put together out of something of his passion. Um, he's he's actually away this weekend at a stag do, um, and so. Uh, I uh, He'll be back next week, I, I hope. <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't get arrested along the way or something like that. So I, I have great faith in the young man, so it should be great. But this is his series he's kind of put together, and it's based around the story of the prodigal son, or I'm going to call it the lost son, or the lost sons today. So each week we're working um, something out of there. And, um, oh, I'm not clicking forward there. Is, that, is there a reason for that, Steve? We'll try and, we'll try and get that. I'll be, in, I'll be in a mess if we, if we can't. Oh yeah, and so Tim's sort of um, argument in this is that the way that we change, the way that we de- we develop, is sort of an old way of thinking. Perhaps is that you have to come, you have to behave in a certain way, and when you behave, you can belong because then you can join the club and um, or sort of believe um, because of the way that we um, spin off each other, and then eventually you get to belong along the way. And he sort of. Turning it upside down is the basis of this series in terms of a Jesus way as he sees it is that we, we belong first. We, we, kind of, we know each other. We, we sense our hearts. Our hearts start to beat in rhythm. And then we work out what we believe along the way, and behavior, which is what he will talk about next week, um, is something that follows us naturally after that. And so today I'm going to be talking about the middle of those, and both of those um, ways of working through it is about the whole area of belief. And so I was, just, um, I was just thinking of his message last week, and there are a couple of things that I felt like were worth just taking through with us as we go into it today. Um, he talked about the way that belonging so deeply um, impacts on the way that we believe and the way that we behave. And so our, our belonging is important sort of thing, our, our connecting, even just knowing our names, knowing each other's stories is something that somehow bonds us and draws us, which leads us into belief, leads us into behavior. And then... He said towards the end of his message, if you are here last week, you would have heard it, um, that any moment is an invitation home. I just love that, you know, and I think, you know, around the building today, around the church today, you know, you might not have been in church ever until today, or you might have been in church every day for your entire life, um, or every Sunday, and the opportunity for us to come home is an invitation for God, and I, I just think that's so beautiful of God to be in that process. And so as I say, we're working through the story of the prodigal son or the lost son or the lost sons. And I want to argue today that we have two lost sons in this story. We have both the prodigal, who's the wasteful son. Prodigal is, effectively means wasteful. And so you've got one son who kind of goes to the far ends of the earth and wastes his father. And you've got another son who's close to the father, but is no less lost. He's not wasteful and prodigal, but he's no less lost less, less lost um, along the way. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this story to you. It'll be a familiar story to you. And what I just want to encourage you to do, if you feel comfortable to do it, is maybe just close your eyes. And as I read it, just to allow the story to kind of, not so much kind of follow the storyline, because if you've been in church a bit, you'll probably be pretty aware of the storyline. But just allow the story itself To take part in you, there's sort of a way we can read the scripture. It's an Ignatian way of, of sort of you know putting yourself really into the scene of the story, and I think it's really helpful thing to do, particularly with scripture that you're pretty familiar with. So maybe close your eyes and maybe just um, kind of allow yourself to be taken through this and and see what God might say to you during it. So it goes like this: There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to the father. Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hunt, hurt, sorry, he signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to stop, slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig shop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, father. I have sinned against God. I have sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I have sinned against God. I have sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was called to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up. For lost and now found and they began to have a wonderful time. All this time his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done he came in. As he approached the house he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the house boys he asked what was going on. He told him your brother has come home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then a son of yours who's thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out with a feast. The father said, son, don't. You don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. Oh, what a beautiful story. It's a story that transcends Christianity, really. It's a story that even in our community, we might know something of the story of the prodigal son. There's something about it that is rich and important and calls to us, no matter how often we see it. And what a wonderful thing it is along the way. And so it's a story of two sons or daughters um, and one father. And you've you've got... two sons or daughters, and in, in, in my sort of Ignatian way of looking at it, I, I just have this picture of, of one son who's, who's a long way away with his back turned to the father, and one son who's really close but also with his back turned to the father. So just, just kind of for an example, so hey, Caleb, you, I'm sure you won't mind this. Would you mind just standing up for a second? So Caleb's going to be the prodigal for a minute. Okay, look at him. Yeah, you have been for a long time. Yeah, I, I know how to pick him. So would you mind just turning away and looking at the wall? <laughs> so there he is. Just stay there for a little bit, Caleb. So, so I'm the father, warm a white shirt, okay? So I'm the father. And, and I would love to reach the son who is so far away, but he can't, he can't spot me. He can't see me. He can't see um, the warmth, the desire to reach out to him. And we kind of know this from the story. But in my sort of more Ignatian way, I want to, Andre. Oh, no, we should, we should pick a, a daughter, shouldn't we? Angie, because you're closest. Would you mind standing up and just looking at the wall? <laughs> because, you see, Angie's quite close to God, the father, isn't she? And yet in the story, as we, as we kind of um, work through it, we discover that the older son or the older daughter is also in the room or also in the, in, the, in the story, close to the father, physically in proximity to the father, but also unable to be reached, unable to be touched, unable for the father to actually have any impact on him or on her. And so you've got two sons and daughters with their backs turned to the Father. You've got two sons or daughters who are going to meet the Father in quite different ways. You've got two sons and daughters or daughters in the context of today's message believing the wrong thing about the Father. They believe the wrong thing about the Father, which we'll explore in a bit. Thank you. That was reasonably easy, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of probably a little bit embarrassing. Oh, we should give them a hand, shouldn't we, Andre? Because it's like... It's what you're not supposed to do because it um, it throws uncertainty into everybody else. Who's he going to pick out next and stuff like that. So um, the answer is n- nobody, probably along the way. But you never know. So you got two sons, or or, or or two sons, or two daughters. It, it doesn't matter. And they have wrong belief that we discover through this thing. The first son thinks initially that he can be independent of the father. So give me my half. Off I go, I'm going to spend it all, and that sort of thing. But later in the story, I think it's really significant, This first son's belief comes through, and this is what he understands. After he's blown all of what the father does, he concludes his belief is, I don't deserve to be a son, and because I don't deserve to be a son, therefore I can't be. Because, I mean, I, I just wasted everything. I just wasted all of the things that the Father had given me. And why would I ever deserve to be, you know, kind of, I still recognize my Father's merciful. I recognize that He has resources. I can go back. But all I can ever be is a slave, all I can ever be is a servant of the Father. And we would kind of nod our head. And, you know, it's probably quite right. And then we have a second son, and we discover something of the second son belief. And it's actually not that much different In some ways, but he got the second son is saying, I do deserve to be a son because of the things that I do and the things that I don't do, but somehow I'm not allowed to be. Somehow I'm not welcomed into it. I'm close to the father, but I don't seem to be able to get to the father despite doing my best and doing my darndest to do the best. And when you think about belief, it occurs to me that this is is a wrong belief going on in both of these sons, both of these um, children of the father is the wrong belief is it's all about me. It's all about the things I do. It's all about the things I don't do. When the right belief is it's all about God. God is the father. God is the central character in the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son or sons rather than the sons because it's the heart of the father that we're beginning to see. And so it's all about me. I am I'm a, a, a waster. I am a bad person. I'm a, a disgrace to my family. I have spoiled my family, you know, kind of my family's name, my family's honor. You've heard the, all of those sermons before. Um, and there's no way I can be a son. And I've worked really hard. I've been honest. I've been, you know, kind of out in the field. I'm still working to enhance the thing but somehow it doesn't feel like I can be. And the wrong belief that we are sucked into is that each day, in some ways, we feel something of a version of this. You know, I'm I'm being pretty good today. I've I've read my Bible this week. I feel like God is probably loving me this week versus, you know, kind of, I've been pretty bad this week. You know, kind of, I've, you know, I don't know, um, you know, kind of done some things that I wouldn't, you know, kind of wouldn't tell my mother about or something like that. And, And, you know, kind of somehow God doesn't, I don't deserve to. And God says, the Father says, it's all about him. I remember um, David in Second um, Samuel twenty-four fourteen. He's he's faced with being thrown into the hands of God or into the hands of human beings. And he says, you know, let me be thrown into the hands of God who is merciful rather than into the hands of people. And I think sometimes our worst enemies are ourselves. And it's because of this belief thing. It's because we think it's all about us. But in fact, it's all about God. We're going to God, and we've got to understand who God is. So we've got two sons or two daughters for the sake of today. We've also got one father, and he gives two messages which are the same and yet different, same, same, but different. And so one of the first, mess- first messages of the first son is, I'm not interested in listening to your repentance. Isn't that shocking? So this is, this is what he says. So the, the son practices repentance in the pig pen. He says, I'm going to go back, say, I've sinned against you, sinned against the Father. Please have me back into, into the servanthood. And then he goes back face to face with the Father. He says, I've sinned against you and sinned against Father. And it says, um, it says uh, and he took no notice of him or he wasn't listening to him. What was he, listening? What was he doing while he wasn't listening to his son? He was, he was out saying, hey, kill the fatted calf. You know, kind of let's have a party because my son is back. And so he says, I'm not listening to your repentance because we're talking about two different things. I don't need to listen to your repentance because you are my son. It's like, it's not a case of you having to come back. You have always been my son. In your darkest moment, you've been my son. In your back turn moment, you've been my son. You have always, you always were and you always will be my son. You are my son. This is the message of the father or or my daughter um, in this context. And then his message to the second son is kind of similar, but for a different reason. It's like, I'm not going to listen to your whining, because you are my son. You've always been my son. You have everything that has been given all of the time. I'm not going to listen to it. And so the message is the same. You are my son. You are my daughter. And this is the right belief for us to take into life, into marriage, into careers, into parenthood, into study, into looking at in the mirror at yourself, into a deep dip into the heart as to who and what you are. So I thought it'd be good today for a moment, just to take a moment to process in prayer this whole idea of being a son or a daughter. And I think it's it's more than a glib. Yeah, I knew that. I think it's something that God would want to minister to us in some sort of deep way. So what I'd, I'd love us to do, just for a moment, is just to pray. And so um, what I'm going to encourage you to do is just pray sort of what we might call a, a, a breathing prayer. So on the in-breath, so I mean, one of the things, you know, we're, we're all in various states of attention or distraction or whatever, but we're all breathing. <laughs> if we're not... <laughs> So we can all breathe together, kind of roughly at a similar time. And it's kind of like on the in breath, we pray, I am a son. I am a daughter. And on the out breath, we pray, everything that would rob us of that. So I am a son. And my indifference made no difference to that. I am a daughter. And my low self-image makes no difference to that. I am a son, and my sinful life makes no difference to that. I am a daughter, and my fears make no difference to that. So let's just for a moment, you know, just to ourselves, allow ourselves to pray in and pray out the way God might lead. So, Lord, we we thank you for some right belief just to take place at some foundational level for us. We thank you for the fact that we are your son, that we are your daughter. And, Lord, we pray that you'd help us build from that rather than some scrambled idea, perhaps, that it depends on our duty or our goodness or our behavior. And Lord, we pray that you'd lead us forward from there. In Jesus' name. So we belong, we believe. Next week, Tim will talk, about, talk a little bit about behaving. I've been thinking about belief this week, just to kind of go from the story of the lost son for a few moments, and then we're going to come around and we're, we're, going, to, we're going to all turn. Hopefully, we're going to all turn towards Jesus as we have communion together to conclude the story. And it occurred to me this week, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure of my dates, but, I, but, but when, I'm as old, when you're as old as I am, you'll forgive me. So I've, this November, I think it's 40 years since I became a Christian. So I'm, I'm not sure if it's 39 or 40, but I think it might be 40 years since I became a Christian. That's an awful long time to be walking this walk. And it's still as clear as day to me the day that I became a Christian, I was in the newsroom, I was a young journalist, newsroom of the Auckland Star newspaper, um, and I had had a whole teenagehood of wrong belief. I'd had a whole teenagehood of, of wanting to, to be a Christian, basically, of praying prayers, of, of inviting Jesus into my life and waiting for some sort of explosion to take place that would indicate that that had happened, and it never happened, and it was like it happened to all of you guys, but it never happened to me, and I had this wrong sense of belief. And so one day, I'm, just, I'm sharing this with a, a workmate at the Auckland Star who was a believer, and he says, he says, you know, the Bible says that when you come to God, he won't reject you, that he will accept you, and that he has accepted you. And it was like the weight of the world came off my life in an instant. To the, to the point that it sort of uh, makes me weak at the knees to talk about it 39 or 40 years later. My life changed that moment. And, and previously, when I've talked about this, it was like, you know, kind of it's, it's, it's almost an emotional thing or a, a deep spiritual thing or something like this. But in the context of today, it's like, oh, it was a correcting of belief that took place. It was like, I didn't think that what I, what the package that I was was acceptable to God, and somebody just was able to gently say to me, he loves you, and you are so acceptable to God, and he embraces you in this thing, and so I've been thinking a lot about belief, and so with the benefit of 39 or 40 years, I just want want to make a few thoughts about belief, and then we'll come back to our communion. I think one of the things about belief is that our beliefs change over time. And um, I think that's a really important thing for us to know about and not to be as concerned sometimes as we are about. I remember Tim last week, he talked about eight stages he talked about of different, um, of different life stages. He talked about, you know, kind of baby stage and toddler stage. I can't remember exactly how they went through to sort of elderly. And I mean, he could have started with birth and he could have started with death. We understand those things. And when we change from being, I don't know, um, those of you who are parents know that a baby changes at about two and, you know, kind of when they go to school and teenage and we we know all of those things. We've been through some of those things. It's like this incredible sort of developmental stage and you're not sure whether you've got the same child anymore. And, And I suspect it's the same when you kind of, you know, kind of you retire or, you know, kind of when you get into older age and things like that. Those are Natural developmental stages, and sometimes we handle them really well, and sometimes we, we really struggle with those things. Well, it is similar in terms of our faith, as we actually go through in a healthy way, growing stages in our faith. And so, I love the work of um, Fowler, who who talks about stages of faith. And um, this is sort of a a really sort of um, simplified version of of what Fowler did, but he talks about six stages of faith. Um, one of which is adolescence. And in adolescence, it's like when we're in really black and white faith, it's like, you know, kind of I have this little um, window of what God's done. This was like me at the Auckland Star that day, and this is what it's like. If you could only just hear that story, then you too will feel that. And we have that little narrowness, and it's like often we're like, this is my experience, and it needs to be your experience as well. And it works fantastically well until we hit young adulthood, which is often a questioning period that we have, and we're frightened of that in church. We're frightened of sort of people saying, I'm not sure that it's actually as straightforward as I used to think. And in church, we tend to try and squeeze a little bit and say, oh no, it really is. You know, it has to be, and you're not allowed to go through that. It's often brought on by a crisis that we have in our life. A prayer's not answered, or something doesn't go well. And, you know, kind of you will be aware of this having happened in, in your own life. And I, th- I think the, the thing that we need to be encouraged about, because it's all about God, it's not all about us, remember? Sort of go back to the prodigal son. is that we need to be encouraged about is in this thing we can trust that God is in the process just as we can see in a natural thing. Oh, that's just my teenager is growing up and individuating, if that's the right word. Or it's, you know, kind of we know we have to go through that to become an adult along the way. And it's a beautiful God-given process that we can do to the point where Fowler talks about middle adulthood as being a a sort of a much more expansive sort of sense of who God is. And that's the journey, and there's there's a sixth stage in all of that. And it's not the purpose of this message to kind of share those things, but it's a really important thing for us to know because God is growing us. And when we know that it's all about God and not about us, we can relax into those things. And so that's an important belief thing, I think. Another thing I think is really important is that belief in itself is not the end game. So we might think it needs to be, you know, kind of if only I could believe right, then that would be the thing. But, but belief itself is not the end game. The end game is um, being a son or a daughter of God. The end game is, 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 is welcoming the kingdom of God. The end game is relationships. The end game is knowing God. That's what it's all about. It's not about, you know, kind of I've repented for my sins. I'm not going to sp- spend the Father's money. I'll come back and you'll give me some more money, and I'm just going to be better with it. Otherwise, you end up over here as an older brother. You know, the younger brother becomes the older brother, and it's, it, it's, it's no better over there. I love um, uh, a lady called Brejo here. Talks about a journey that we take from certainty um, through searching, to arrive in intimacy. And I just think that's something of the process that God is wanting to do. Oh my, I'm so grateful to God that he didn't leave me as an an 18 or 19-year-old in the Auckland Star newsroom with what I knew back there, as dynamic and as important as it was because it's an invitation that he's given to me to continue to grow and to continue to enjoy knowing who God is. You know, Jesus summarized 613 Jewish laws by saying... Love God and love others. So 613 Jewish laws with a whole lot of KPIs and you do it then, you do it this way and stuff like that. He said, oh, you know, this is what I think. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors as yourself. You'll be doing it all if you can only just achieve that, if you can do that. And what a wonderful freedom that is because that's our life's work, our life's journey out of this love of the Father to turn to Him and to know Him And to be working through those things of, what does it mean to love God? That's worth a lifetime, isn't it? What does it mean to love each other? That's worth a lifetime. How fantastic is that? And then thirdly, belief necessitates, I think, a regular turning towards the Father. Because, you know, there are plenty of times where I just plain darn darn don't want to do it. Because I am partial i am sinful i am you know kind of selfish i do want it on my terms quite a lot of the time and it's like a constant invitation for me to go from being facing the other way from the father to being facing towards the father and receiving his endorsement you are a son you are a daughter you know you didn 't feel like it, I know that you weren't you know kind of you were close but 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 it 's like you didn 't feel it but but you are a daughter, and you can only do that when you can lock eyes, when you can see each other, when you can know each other that that 's indeed what you are, and you are a son, you are a daughter you you despite the the things that you might have done you and I can see you in the distance, and I welcome you as you turn towards me, and come back to me. That is something. That is something that we get out of the story of the lost son, out of the sense of having a right belief about God. Why don't we stand, and we're going to um, conclude our service with communion today